I just wanted to take just a minute and thank um, Brother Josh Harris and all those that put together the uh, the men's event yesterday. We we have a uh, a men's squirrel hunt every fall. Oh, I guess it's not fall; it's winter now. But um, most of the people in our church, we're, we're country people, you know. I grew up in the country. Um, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, and he uh, he pastored several different churches, and they were all farm country churches. So I kind of grew up kicking around in the woods and squirrel hunting and stuff. So that's a lot of fun stuff, and it's good for the guys to get together. You may not be into that kind of thing. You might be a golfer or chess player or something. That, that's fine, you know. All the, It's all good. Um, but we got a lot of just farm boy country folks here, and we got out and had a squirrel hunt yesterday. What we didn't realize was yesterday was National Squirrel Appreciation Day. <laughs> it really was. I'm like, seriously? Like, yeah, I think, well, we'll appreciate them when they're on the dinner plate. How about that? So, I, I don't mean to be cruel, but... We, we, we just kind of grew up in the country, and that's who we are, you know. So, But anyway, it was a very good time for the men to get together. You know, and I was sharing with them last Sunday, I was talking about the fact that sometimes ministry doesn't look like what we think it is, you know, that this lady's car broke down and ministry was fixing her car, you know. It wasn't prophesying, casting out demons or anything like that. All There's a place for that. But that day, ministry was fixing her car. Well, yesterday, ministry was getting together and eating a barbecue and having dinner together and going out and coming back together and seeing who um, who, who had the most success in that. And it, it was a very good event, had a large group of men, some that don't attend our church, which is great. It's good getting, getting together and doing things like that. Good, clean, wholesome fun. So thank you, Josh, and all those who put that together. Just another reminder, new members class will be next Sunday, the 29th at 3 o'clock if you're interested in that. Now, if you take your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of Luke, Gospel according to Luke and chapter 15. Uh, one of the most important, I believe, parables that Jesus ever told, according to most theologians, is found in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it starts by saying, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So he's got an older brother and a younger brother. So he gives them both their inheritance. Verse 13 says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swines ate, and uh, no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion 
And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, your word is always God living, breathing life to our spirit. Lord, you said all scripture is given by your inspiration and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, Lord, you sent your word today, God. Any of it, all of it, God, is living breath to our spirit. And, God, I pray today, Lord, that you speak, Lord, today, in spite of me or through me or, 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 or absent from me, but, God, you speak to every heart. Father, exactly what each person needs to hear. God, only you can do that. Lord, only you can change our soul and our heart. And Father, I pray through the word today, Lord, that you will change us, God, to look more like you, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. This parable is known as the parable of the prodigal son. And every scholar, they call it that. But it's more than just about this prodigal and what he did. Because it highlights the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, of a loving father. It could be called the, 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 the parable of the loving father or the forgiving father or the merciful father. It also highlights the blessing and the reward for those who are faithful. Because if you read on in that parable, the elder son, he came and he saw all this merriment going on. He said, what is, what's, going, what's going on? And they said, well, your little brother came back home. And so he was upset because he came in and like, why are you throwing a party for this rebellious boy? I've always been with you, Dad. You've never killed a fatted calf for me. You've never let me invite my friends that had a big party for me. And his father says, son, you've always been with me. Everything that I have, it's yours. You can, you can throw a party anytime you want to. You can kill the fatted calf anytime you want to. And I mean, what a wonderful story about the faithfulness of those who serve God. The blessings that he has laid out for you that you can use and benefit from anytime you want. And so it's a great story. It has been called the gospel within the gospel. It has been called the crown and peril of all parables. Charles Dickinson said that this is the finest short story that's ever been written. Because in this parable, we can see the main theme of the gospel. Because we, we know that Jesus was a great teacher. He went about teaching the things of God in a level that nobody had ever heard before. We know that he was a great reformer. He took a dead religion that was built on laws and rules and regulations, and he made it a living relationship with the Almighty God. We know that he was a great reformer. We know he's a benevolent man. The Bible says he went forth doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He was one of the greatest prophets. But most important, the main theme of this parable is, was, and always will be that Jesus is our Redeemer. 
Because it doesn't matter how much you've been taught. doesn't how much you know, how much scripture you can quote. The Pharisees could do that. It doesn't matter how benevolent he has been to you, how many gifts he's bestowed you with, how many good things he's done for you. It doesn't matter if you're part of the Reformation, if you're in the right group. Judas was in the right group. It doesn't matter if you haven't been born again. If you haven't been redeemed by him, it doesn't matter how much you know or what group you're a part of or how many blessings you've received. The theme of it is you must be born again. It's God's desire that we're redeemed. Jesus came into the world for that purpose. When John the Baptist saw him coming down on the bank, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that's here to take away the sins of the world. He said, for this cause came I into the world. Jesus said to Zacharias, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the whole reason he came. The Apostle Paul said, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now, when I was working on this sermon, I, I came across that Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Now, I'm sure you probably know the life of Paul. When I compare him to myself, huh? come on, somebody. When you compare Paul to yourself, was he a greater sinner than you are? I can't say that. He said he was the chief of sinners. And so it made me think just exactly who would bear that title, the chief of sinners. Who would bear that title? Who is the lowest of the low in your book? Some people might say it was Casey Anthony. I mean, you remember the story of Casey Anthony. She went on trial for murdering her two-year-old daughter, took her out, put her in a trash bag, threw her out behind a fence, and went straight from there to a party with her friends and laughing and drinking and just partying and have a big time. Some people might look at that and say, that, you can't get any lower than that. Jody Aries, who seduced her boyfriend, went in the shower, stabbed him to death. The Sandy Hook shooter walked into a school of elementary children and just started shooting them. Some people will say, you can't get any lower than that. That's the lowest of the low. Or the Amish school shooting. Went into a bunch of Amish children, just started shooting little children. You can't get any lower than that. The guy that walked into a church shot everybody in the church. Can't get any lower than that. Hitler who marched thousands and thousands of people to the gas chambers. Can't get any lower than that. Bin Laden, who would it be? Nero. Nero was the emperor during the time of the apostle Paul that he took Christians and murdered them and put them up on poles soaked in pitch and lit them on fire to light his courtyard. See, that could, be, that could possibly be the lowest of the low. Who would be the lowest of the low? And how could God extend grace to someone like that. Max Licato, in his book entitled The Grip of Grace, he talks about a serial killer that he said was the lowest of the low, Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, you remember Jeffrey Dahmer. This is what he said. You know what disturbs me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? What disturbs me most are not his acts, though they were disgusting. Dahmer was convicted of 17 murders, Eleven corpses were found in his apartment. He cut off arms. He ate body parts. The tharsis has 204 synonyms for vile, but each falls short of describing a man who kept skulls in his refrigerator and hoarded human hearts. He redefined the boundaries of brutality. 
The Milwaukee monster dangled from the lowest rum of human conduct, and then he dropped. But that's not what troubles me the most. Can I tell you what troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? Not his trial, as disturbing as it was, while uh, with all those pictures of him sitting serenely in court, face frozen, motionless, no sign of remorse, no hint of regret. I remember his steely eyes and his impassive face. But I don't speak of him because of his trial. There's another reason. Can I tell you what really troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? Not his punishment, though life without parole is hardly an exchange for his actions. How many years would satisfy justice? A lifetime in jail for every life he took? But there's another matter, and that's what troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer. May I tell you what does? It was his conversion. Months before an inmate murdered him, Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian. He said he repented. He was sorry for what he did, profoundly sorry. Said that he put his faith in Christ. He was baptized. He started life over. He began reading Christian books and attending chapel. That troubles me. It shouldn't, but it does. Grace for a cannibal? Maybe you have the same reservations, if not about Dahmer, perhaps about someone else. Have you ever wrestled with the deathbed conversion of a rapist or 11th hour conversion of a child molester? We've sentenced them, maybe not in court, but in our heart. We've put them behind bars and locked the door. They are forever imprisoned by our disgust. And then the impossible happens. They repent. Grace is hard to understand. Do we not reason within our hearts that there ought to be a line where grace will reach and save someone good, middle or upper class, who is a Protestant and not reach out and down to a Dahmer or a Timothy McVeigh or a Hitler or to some other poor wretch who doesn't look, act, smell, or believe like us? Do we not believe in grace with limits and mercy with certain qualifications? Maybe we do, but God doesn't. His grace is truly amazing, and his mercy is to all generations. Now, in our eyes, the lowest of low may be the Jeffrey Dahmers and the Jody Aries and, and the Sandy Hook Shooter and all those, but not to God. In this parable, Jesus is describing in the eyes of God who the lowest of the low really is. It is those who left the Father's house. They've left his love. They've left his provision. They've left his embrace. And they went out for the things that they thought was better that the world had to offer. You see, in the eyes of God, he describes that as being the lowest of the low. In all humanity, it is divided into three groups. You have those that are in the grip of grace. That, I pray, is everyone here today. You've experienced what I was talking about during the time of our communion. You know what it means to be born again. You can point back to the day that I had a change when I came out of darkness and I stepped into his glorious day. 
You can point to that day and say, I was born of his spirit that day. You're in the grip of grace. That's one classification of people. Then you have the second classification, those that have never known the grace of God. They're the lost world. You know, they are the Jeffrey Dahmer before he repented, the Hitler, the Jody Aries and all those. I don't, I don't know where they are today. They may have repented and be a Christian, but at the time of their crimes, you know, <clears throat> Casey Anthony to murder a two-year-old, two-year-old child, I don't think she's in the grace of God. Amen. And then you have the third class of people, those who have known and have experienced the grace of God, and then they choose to walk away from it. The Bible refers to that as a backslider. In the eyes of God, the worst of the three is the backslider. In the eyes of God, that is the loss of low. It's the sin with knowledge and understanding. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says this, For if... After they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, everybody say Lord, and Savior. All right? And he says, if they've escaped. They, if you've escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of Jesus as Savior, that means you've given your life to him. He has saved your soul. Not only that, but he's become the Lord of your life. You've turned over the control of your life to him. as like, Lord, you, I give you control of my life. You are my Lord. And he says, after you've come to that knowledge, you know him as Savior, you know him as Lord, he says, they are again entangled therein and overcome. He says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Every time I read that, I thought, well, in the beginning, they are lost and bound for hell. What can be worse than that? God describes it's worse to know these things and to walk away from it. You're worse off than if you'd never been saved at all. Verse 21 says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to its own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, the prodigal describes that type of a sinner. He's in the embrace of the father. He's in the father's house. He's got the father's provision. He's got a relationship with his father. And he chooses the world over that. Now, Jesus is addressing a group of Pharisees when he's writing this parable, when he's telling them this parable, because they have criticized him for receiving publicans and sinners. Because in their eyes, the lowest of the low was the tax collector. It was the people that go into all these, these temples and worship other gods, the sinners, the, the reprobates and, and the apostates, and they are the worst of the worst. And so he's, the Pharisees are criticizing him, and he tells them this story about the father that had two sons. And in their mind, this would have been the lowest of the low because when they heard this message, it hit like a bombshell. Because in their mind, they know that there was nothing you could do worse than for this boy to go to his father and to ask for his inheritance. Because you are to revere and honor your father in the Jewish culture. And, and in that culture, the only one that could address the father on the subject of his inheritance is the elder son. So for the younger son to come and say, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now is equivalent to saying, I wish you'd just go ahead and die. 
so I could get what's coming to me. And in the, in the ears and the eyes of the Jewish Pharisees, there was nothing you could do lower than that. In fact, if, they had, if it would have been a real story and that young man had been standing there, they would have went immediately and drug him to the gate and stoned him to death for insulting his father like that. So this hit like a bombshell. When they're thinking about publicans and sinners and then he tells them about what this boy did, all of a sudden he's on a rum lower than the publicans and the sinners. It's the reason he told them this story. And what he was trying to get them to see is this is the lowest of the low in your eyes because the boy was basically saying, I want my blessing. I want it right now. I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to be under your authority, and I don't want to obey your commands. And they understood this is the highest level of insult. It was the lowest of the low, a Jeffrey Dahmer type of sin. Everything that his father had worked for all of his life, the prodigal wasted, and he insulted his father. And Jesus telling them story, this story was actually talking to them. What he's doing is taking this parable saying, this is who you are. You've got this big magnifying glass and you're exp examining the, the publicans, the tax collectors and the sinners. But when you pick up the mirror, what you're going to see is you are this boy. Because what God has brought and given and offered to you, you are wasting. You're insulting the Father because you are not walking in the commands of God yourself. And he was rebuking the Pharisees in this parable. Because what he's pointing out is the prodigal is a type of backslidden Israel. Now, see, these are Pharisees. They, they know the Torah. They know the words of the prophets. They knew what God had said through the prophets to and about them. In Jeremiah chapter 8, if you look there with me, he describes the backslider. Those who have walked away from the sonship of God and denied and rejected God as their father. In verse 4, it says, uh, I mean, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not rise again? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. What is he saying? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm listening for them. But they would rather be deceived. They refuse to return. You see, when people decide that they're going to go into rebellion, there is something else that's going to attach itself to them immediately. Rebellion and deception walks hand in hand. Because when they go into rebellion, they will immediately be deceived into thinking, I'm okay. It's okay. Everything is good. There's nothing wrong with this. And begin to make excuses for what they do. Look at verse 6 again. I hearkened and heard, and they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Why? Because they don't think they've done anything wrong. Rebellion and deception, it walks hand in hand. You see, repentance begins with acknowledgement of sin. The prodigal repented. 
He said, I'm going to arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned. You have to first of all acknowledge it. Look at Jeremiah verse 8, verse 6 again. Let's break it down. He said, they, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his weakness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his course. What does that mean? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care if it's wrong. Anybody ever been there? Come on, we may not have gone to the extreme of getting into the trough eating with pigs, but I've been there. There's been things that God was leading and convicting me about. I just, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't care if it was wrong. Brother, I'm going to tell you, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. In other words, a, man, a good man will be satisfied with God's ways. But a backslider is always going to do things his own ways. And the Pharisees did this. They did whatever they thought was right. Jesus pointed that out in Mark chapter 7, verse 9. He said, and he said unto them, full well you rejected the commandments of God that you may keep your own tradition. I'm telling you, let me just stop right there and say, that's becoming an epidemic in the church world today. We know what he said, but the church is rewriting what is right and wrong. Why? Because of rebellion and deceit. They honestly, honestly believe that it's okay to do some of the things that they're doing. Endorsing abortion, same-sex marriage, Sex outside of marriage, and the list goes on. Drug use. You know, they legalize marijuana in Virginia now. It's okay to smoke pot and go to church and do all that. Rebellion and deception walks hand in hand, church. And they ignore the commands of God and make their own laws, their own tradition. And, and, and he said in Mark 7, let's look, finish looking at it. Verse 13, he says, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which you have delivered as many such like things you do. So you make the word of God of no effect because you take that and write your own commands and your own traditions, he said. So back in Jeremiah 8, verse 6, let's break it, finish breaking it down. He says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned his own course as a horse rushes into battle. The church, I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to deal with somebody that's going down that path, you're not judging, you're not doing this, your heart's breaking. You're like, I know the danger of what you're doing. I, I want, please stop, please stop, turn around. But brother, they've got a full head of steam like a horse going into battle and they will rush and if you get in their way, they will run over you. They'll cuss you out. Sometimes they blame you. And they go to war against you. And you're trying to help them. Because if they die in that condition, oh my God. Eternity's a long time to pay for a bad choice. Are you hearing me, church? Verse 7, he says, 
Yea, the stork is in heaven, knoweth her appointed time, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the times of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it, and the pen of the scribe is in vain. What is that saying? They're bragging about how much scripture they know. He's talking about these Pharisees, all right? They know what Jeremiah said. You brag about how much scripture you know, how you can quote the Torah, and you know all the prophets, but it's all written in vain. This boy knew better than to leave his father, but he didn't care. And what did Jeremiah say? They know not that they are under the judgment of the Lord. In church, when people go into rebellion, the judgment of God, if they continue in it, it always, always comes. I have been around this long enough. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, we're old enough to observe now what happens over time, you know. And I've seen it so many times. I'm like, do you, you don't have any idea what you're getting ready to experience, the judgment of God. Well, it's going to come. Verse 9, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9, it says, But wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken low. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Question mark. Therefore will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the least even to the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. So he's talking about backslidden Israel because they wouldn't turn around. They wouldn't repent. His judgment comes, came up on them. And these Pharisees are doing the same thing. They got this magnifying glass out and they're looking at what everybody else is doing wrong, but they refuse to look at themselves and the fact that they're making for themselves the, the laws for themselves and their tradition makes the word of God of no effect. This Jewish boy in this parable, Jesus is showing him, look, this is a picture of backslidden Israel. This is a picture of anyone who turns from God's embrace and backslides and goes into the world. He lost it all. All of his inheritance, he lost everything. And now he's a Jewish boy. Jewish boys didn't, they wouldn't even touch a pig. They would have nothing to do with swine. It was a cursed animal. But here he is feeding the pigs. Not only that, but he's getting down and eating in the trough with them. I preached a sermon years ago on this passage called Slop on My Face, talking about when he came back and what he must have looked like. You could probably wring the oil out of his hair. He hadn't had a bath. He's got mud all over him because he's been down in the pig trough and the mud and the slop. He's got slop stuck in his beard and everything. He stinks. He's nasty and he's dirty. But as soon as daddy saw him, boy, he wrapped his arms around him. He didn't care how much he stunk. He didn't care how nasty he was. He just embraced him. And what a loving father we have, church. Yes. There's blessing in serving God. We look at the elder son, and God blessed him. He said, everything that I've got is yours. You can have it any time. But rebellion brings judgment every single time. Jeremiah 8, verse 11, look at it. It says, for they have healed the hurt of the daughters of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
The NIV says it this way, they dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. See, they're trying to convince themselves. They got an open gash in their soul and their spirit is pouring out and they're putting a Band-Aid on and saying, it's okay, everything's good. You know, it's okay to have same-sex marriage. It's okay to do this. And their soul is being poured out and they're saying, peace, peace, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. Everything is good. God is a God of love and mercy and grace. Yes, he is. You know, I thought about when this, in this parable, we, this is a story of what God hopes for the people of Israel and, and for every person. This is what God's hope is that you get to a point where you come back. What would have happened if he stayed out there in the world and he didn't return to the Father? You see, yeah, God is a God of mercy and grace, but only to those who repent and to those that return. So they're trying to convince themselves that everything is all right. And then the last verse in Jeremiah verse 12, it says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down saith the Lord. Listen, if God said it's going to happen that way, it's going to happen that way. Judgment will always come on the backslider. Doesn't matter if it's Israel, doesn't matter if it's Pharisees, doesn't matter if it's the church. Judgment will always come on the backslider. If they continue in that sin, it will always come. Because they get to a place that says they have no shame, Church people's go, there's things going on in the world today that in the, in the days of my grandfather and your grandfathers, who would have never dreamt that would be going on, people would be ashamed to even let anybody know that, that they're doing these things. But now people walk, they boast about it. It says, will they blush? No, they wouldn't blush. Neither will they have any shame. He's prophesying of our day, isn't he? Amen. And so what Jesus is pointing out is if you backslide far enough, you'll always hit the bottom. You look at the prodigal, verse 12 in Luke 15, he says, Father, give me my portion, my goods that fall to me. So he divided him to his livelihood. So he took his money, blew it all. Soon as, it, soon as your money's gone, your friends are gone. Now, in case you don't know that, let me just help you out here. You got plenty of money, you got plenty of friends. When you're broke, you got nothing left, you don't have any friends either because they weren't your friends to start with. Now he's eating with the pigs. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you're guilty of the same thing. You have left the embrace of the Father, and you're serving yourselves, is what he's pointing out to the Pharisees. The rebellion, and they're deceived, and it causes the word of God to be written in vain. You're saying everything is okay, everything is good, when in fact it is not. You're putting a Band-Aid over an wound, open wound, basically. So the prodigal is broke, he's all alone, he's wallowing with a pig. It looks bad. Looks bad. But church, what I came to tell you today is there is always hope. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have enough to bread to eat in despair and I perish with hunger? I'm going to rise and go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
Church forgiveness is always available. We need to remember that. I don't care who it is. If it's Jody Erickson, if it's a, a Jeffrey Dahmer, if it's a, a Casey, uh, whatever her name was, it doesn't matter who it is, what they've done. Forgiveness is always available. But repentance is always a requirement. The forgiveness doesn't come without repentance. First of all, they have to acknowledge your transgression. Then you repent. Then you return and you request. Jeremiah first three, look at chapter three, look at this, verse 12. Jeremiah 3:12 says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, says the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. I just, let's just put a check right there and say, well, what if they don't return? If you return, I will not let my anger fall upon you. But if you don't return, what happens? His anger will fall upon you. Are you seeing this? Return and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord. And I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, and thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Because this boy has done the unthinkable. In the, eye, in the ears of these Pharisees, he has done the unthinkable. He has done everything that Jesus is describing that the children of Israel had done to classify them as a backslider. And the Pharisees are hearing this. They understand it. Now, Israel will return one day. To this day, Israel is still backslidden. Do you understand this? As a nation. But if you read the book of Hosea, you will see that one day, <clears throat> right now, Jesus, God gave Israel a bill of divorcement. And he said, even though I gave her a bill of divorcement, her sister Judas still goes out and does the things that she's doing. But right now, he has divorced Israel. But he, he speaks through the prophet Hosea. He takes a wife named Gomer. She goes and sells herself to so many men that they wouldn't even pay to be with her anymore. She is so worthless. They would, men wouldn't even, nobody even wanted her anymore. And then God told Hosea, now go and take her back. Pay the price, buy her back. And it's a picture of what God is going to do with Israel. When she's gone so far away from God, he has not given up on her. And church, I can tell you right now, if you, I'm preaching today because we all know someone who is backslidden. Huh? Does anybody know in here? I know quite a few people that are backslidden and some that's teeter-tottering. But God will never give up on them. He's standing and watching and waiting. Verse 20 in Luke chapter 15 is the climax of the gospel message. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. What is he doing? You have to get the picture here. When he was a great distance off, why did he see him? Because he's standing there looking out the window waiting for him to return, hoping maybe today, maybe today will be the day. And he's looking, and when he saw him coming afar off, he knew, that's my boy. And he went running to his son. He says he saw him afar off, 
And the father saw him, had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. When I preached the message, slop on his face, I pointed out the fact that old men in Israel didn't run. You just didn't run. Old men in America don't run. I, when I went and had surgery, I had some surgery done, and they kept checking my heart rate. They said, are you a jogger? I said, why do you ask if I'm a jogger? I said, well, most of the time, people we see with your blood pressure and heart rate, they, they're, they're athletic. They're joggers. I said, well, if you see me running, call 911 because somebody's chasing me. <laughs> Only time I run is when she gets after me with that frying pan. You know it so. So he's running. So old men don't run. But he's running for a reason. Because if the elders of the city, and see the Pharisees, they're hearing this. They understand. They know why he's running. Because if they're standing there and they see that boy coming, he's going to die. He's going to die here. He's going to die right now. Because he is the lowest of the low. What he has done is unforgivable. We're going to stone him to death the minute we see him. And daddy's running out there to save his life. Yeah, that's good. Come on, Satan wants to stone you to death. The Pharisees of this world, they want to stone the backslider to death. Listen, I don't care what people have done. You can have a stripper come up in here, a homosexual, it doesn't matter. You can have an adulterer, it doesn't matter, a murderer. A child molester? Now, they will be escorted while they're here. Let me just point that out. But they're welcome here because we're not going to stone them to death. The Father is standing, looking, hoping, praying that they will return. Yeah. And when they come, we need to have the same heart that the Father has. Yeah. We don't want to be like the Pharisees, like magnifying glass. No, we want to have the heart of the Father yeah. and pray and hope that they will return. Rejoice when they return. He said he fell on his neck and he kissed him. He ran to save his life. See, the elders were the type of, the, the, the Pharisees, they were the, the, the type of the satanic powers that wants to destroy you. Because if he can get you to backslide and kill you, then you die in your sin. So this is what I want us to see today. Jesus is saying the Father is waiting to receive you. He says, I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I, I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. The Father is going to protect those from the, those that wish to kill him. Satan wants to kill you when you get out there. And church, let me tell you something. If someone is like a prodigal and they come to themselves and they realize, I, I have made some horrible choices. I've, I've betrayed everything that I know is right and good and pure and holy. And I don't want to do this anymore. The Bible says when he came to himself, he says, it's better in my father's house. I thought the world would be better. But this is not better. It's better in my father's house. Church, a lot of people come to that. They, they know the things of God. They've been in it. They've experienced it. But it looks greener on the other side. Amen. I always tell people the grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener over the septic tank. Right? And you go out there and taste it and you realize it's got a stench to it. It's... But it was good in my father's house. 
But here's the Pharisee. They can't get past what you have done. And the devil wants to say, yeah, but you've blown it now. You've gone too far. You can never have the anointing you once had. You can never have the calling you once had. God can never use you again. Look at what you did. Look at what you did. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's always wanting to condemn you for the choices you made. But the father's not like that. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you, pointing out to you what you've done. Years ago, I was, in, I was walking in the hallway, and it's what prompted me to pre preach this message this morning because I remembered this, this scene. There was a young man that was backslidden, and I'd been praying for him. I'd been witnessing to him. I caught him on the field out here one day, and I just walked up to him, and I said, if you were to die right now, would God be pleased with what you're doing? He just dropped his head. Well, finally he came back to church, you know. And he had a big, we had, we'd give out cotton candy that Sunday or something. He had a big ball of cotton candy. He came to me and said, I'm good. I said, why? Because you got a ball of cotton candy. I cut him no slack. Why? Because you got a ball of cotton candy. He said, no, because Jesus is back in my life. Yeah. I wanted to rejoice. I wanted to rejoice. And suddenly, it occurred to me that I was being a Pharisee because all I could see was this, what he, was, what he had done, what he was doing. And that week, the next Sunday, I preached, One Frame Doesn't Make a Movie was the title of the message. Because I remember when I was in high school, they, I was the biggest goof off in high school. I mean, they, they like give me books. Did everybody have books in school? Well, they gave me a bunch of books. When at the end of the year, they told me to turn in your books. I'm like, you gave me some books? I'm, I'm not kidding, guys. They had like study hall, like was a way to torture people. You have to go in there to like study. So I found out that if I signed up to be an audiovisual aide, I got out of study hall. Because back then, we didn't have DVDs or VCRs or 8-tracks. You had the reel-to-reel. How many remember that? Huh? And your job as an audiovisual lady, if the classroom was going to show a film, you went down there and run the projector for them. Because if it starts jiggling, you have to stop it and put a bigger loop in the... How many know what I'm talking about, right? Well, if you look at that film, there's little holes on the side of it that the gears catch to run it through the projector, but it's one little square after the other. Right? If a guy's throwing a ball, one square is going to be like this, one next one's going to be like that, and then like that, and like that. When you're going real fast, he's whoosh. Right? That's the way it works. But if you look at that one square, and that's all you ever look at, then in your mind, that's the movie. And the Lord told me, Bernie, one square doesn't, one frame. It's called a frame. One frame doesn't make a movie. In church, we are so guilty of looking at somebody's life and all we see is the sin frame. And we can never let them get beyond what they've done. I want to go somewhere, but I, I don't want... It's kind of personal, but when somebody's done something so horrible, it's hard to get beyond how could they do that, especially when it affects you. How could they do that? 
But you have to look at the whole picture. Of somebody that did some horrible, horrible thing, but at some point in their life, they came to themselves and they said, it's better back in my dad's house. And they go back and he embraces them. He throws up, he celebrates. If he can do that, we should do that. Amen? And so we can't get stuck on the sin frame. We have to look at the whole picture of what God wants to do in their life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes we can be pharisaical and we want to keep them in that wallet because we don't want them to forget what they did. Church, I'm telling you, if Jeffrey Dahmer were sitting here today, it would be hard to get past the fact that he ate people. Uh, am I right? Yes. A child molester. I'd have trouble with that now, I'm telling you. But God help us that we, because if we do that, then we need to turn the mirror around and realize I'm lower than he is. If I can't get past that, Jesus is saying, if you can't get past that, you're lower than he is. Church, that's convicting right there. Now, in no way am I saying we condone their behavior if they choose to stay in that. In fact, we should condemn that. But when, when they want to return and, you know, and if they're even seeking, we need to help them and love them, you know. There's a lot of scripture I could go into about how you categorize that because if a brother is, is extortioner and he goes down this list and, and he's a fornicator and he calls himself a brother, the Bible says you're not to even break bread with them. In, in Paul's letter to Titus, he said, if a person is a heretic after one or two warnings, you break fellowship with them and have nothing to do with them. So there, there are some things that apply here, but when somebody is searching and they're seeking and they're trying we need to be loving and kind and merciful and forgiving, and we need to be like the Father, and we're standing there praying and looking and waiting for them to return, ready to embrace them. That's the heart of the Father. You say, who are you preaching to this morning, Pastor? I told somebody the other day, I said, most of the sermons I preach, I've got a big mirror standing up here in front of me. That's who I'm preaching to, this guy right here. Amen? Because if I need it, I'm pretty sure you probably need it too. Amen? So in closing, let me wrap this up. There's three things in closing that we need to focus on. <clears throat> the prodigal was on top. He fell to the bottom, and he was placed on top again when he returned. To the prodigal, whether it's you, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if somebody in here is it. You're just sitting here, and you're, you know, maybe... You've been in the world. You just made your way to church this morning, but when you leave, you're going to go right back into the pig slop that you just came out of before you got here. I don't know. Or maybe it's somebody you know to the prodigal. Jesus didn't want to show the Pharisees how disgusting they were to God. The whole purpose of the story of the prodigal was God wants to show you how much the father wants to embrace even the lowest of the low. That's the message of the parable of the prodigal.
It's not about the sin of the prodigal, but it's about the love of the father and how much he wants to embrace the lowest of the low. His father didn't stone him. He ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him, restored him to a place of relationship. He said, go and get my robe and put it on him. What is that? He is honoring him. This boy didn't deserve to be honored, but he's showing him honor. He's covering his garment that is stained with sin. So an old song says, I've been, there's a garment that's stained with sin, and I've been washed in the blood of the lamb. <clears throat> Lay aside the garment that is stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the lamb. And that's what he's doing. He's covering his garment that is stained with sin. He says, Dad, I'm sorry. He said, bring my ring and put it on his finger. What is that? Church, this is what the devil doesn't want you to know. If you've been a prodigal, I was that guy. I grew up, I told you I, had a, I was a Pharisee. I, I, I knew the scripture. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. But there was a couple years that I just said, I want to see what's on the other side. And brother, it is a septic tank over there, just in case you don't know. <laughs> and when I came back, I was so ashamed. God, how could you use me? For years, how could you use me, God? After what I did. I talked to somebody one time, and, and, and this lady had done just unthinkable. And I said, I, I don't want you to be sad. She said, how can, I, how can I not be sad after what I've done? I said, if that is true, then none of us can rejoice because we've all done bad things. Look at Mary Magdalene. She's the most revered woman in the Bible, but nobody remembers her what she did. They remember her for what she became. Satan doesn't want you to know that. Put my ring on his finger. What does that represent? Authority. The same anointing that God gave you when he called you and then you went back out and wallowed in the mire and you come back, he gives you that same authority back. The same calling, the same gifting, the same anointing. The Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. In other words, if he's anointed you to do something and he's called you to do it, he will never take that back away from you. It's without repentance. He doesn't take it away. Put my ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. What is that? That is a sign of sonship. Daddy's kids wear shoes. All right? The servant might be going around barefooted, but not my boy. My, fam my boys are going to be wearing shoes. My daughters are going to be wearing shoes. He's recognized him not as a servant. He came back and said, just make me a servant, Daddy. He's like, no, you're not a servant. You are my son. God doesn't disown you because you make mistakes or you make bad choices. He still owns you. And then he goes and kills the fatted calf. What is that? He's saying, today, not only are you my son, but you are the special guest in this home. Everything that's being done here today is all about you. All right, so the prodigal, you need to understand, God can still use you. He can still use you. That young man I was talking about was the cotton candy was on top of the world, on top of the spiritual Thing. Then he fell. God put him on top again. Sadly, he has fallen again. He is prodigal to this very day, this young man. Second of all, I want you to hear this. To those who see the prodigal, <clears throat> don't just look at the sin frame. Pray for that prodigal to return. You know, I look for the day that I see that young man again, and he says, I am good. 
And I said, why? Because you got cotton candy. No, but because Jesus is real in my life again. I pray for that day. But I don't pray just because it's a duty or responsibility. Church, we need to pray with faith. Hebrews 1.1 says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes I have a hard time understanding what that's talking about. But in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. The modern speech says this. Now faith is a well-grounded assurance of that which we hope and a conviction of the reality of things that we do not see. <clears throat> How many of you would join me today in praying <clears throat> for prodigals? Yeah. How many of you knows a prodigal? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. You know a prodigal. If you've got an ink pen, write their name on a piece of paper. All right. You don't want to expose them to the world. I, I'm not going to, other people, you don't want other people to see that. But if you know a prodigal, maybe more than a few, you write their names down. You know, I, I've known people that they'll get a picture of them. If you really want to get serious about praying for them in faith, write their name down. Take a picture of them. Maybe if you've got an altar place where you just like to pray, it might be at your kitchen table, it might be at your, beside your bed or wherever, somebody, a place that you, it's your altar, your closet. Jesus said, go into the closet and pray. But you lay them down and you pray for them that they will return with confidence that they're going to come back again. Now, I'm going to tell you what, brother, when you start sicking God on them, I believe today that I turned around because my mom and dad were on their knees praying for me. And I went 350 miles to try to get away from the influence of my family. When I met her, all she could talk about was Jesus. First time I saw her, she got out of the car. the best looking thing I've ever seen in my life, boy. And I was trying to figure out my, my opening line because I was too cool for school, you know. I had my bell bottoms on, my hair down to here. I was trying to figure out, man, that thing looked good, boy. And I, was, I fell in lust automatically. <laughs> fell in love later, but. And all she could talk about was Jesus. Now, this is how far I'd slipped. I said, what a waste. To myself, what a waste. I said, look, I understand what you're doing. I appreciate it. I've been around religion my whole life. She didn't know I was a PK. That's a preacher's kid. I said, but I've come 350 miles to get away from religion. I've had it shoved down my throat all my life. If Jesus is all you can talk about, you can go talk to somebody else. That was, hello, how are you? My name is Bernie. <laughs> that was our introduction. But she looked so good. I was like, I can't just leave it there, you know. But through that and my prayer, my parents I went to a youth group, and I just got under conviction. I'm like, I, it, it stinks out here. You know, no matter how much I tried to do, I couldn't find that joy that I once had, you know. So I've been that guy. You may know somebody like that. And I, I can promise you prayer will change that. You pray for them. Prayer is why I'm here today. 
I tried to get away from religion, and I moved right into the home of the worship leader of the church who was filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd never been around people like that before. I was like, there's something different about these people. I'd been around religious people all my life. You know, I'd never been around spirit-filled people. And all of a sudden, I saw something in them that I wanted. I, I said, whatever that is, they've got something I, I don't have. I've never even seen before. I want that, whatever it is. In August of 1974, I got it. Boy, I'm going to tell you, it was powerful. Yeah. Never be the same. So join me in prayer. Well-grounded assurance that they're going to return. And then the last thing, Hunter, if you'll join me. <clears throat> let's, let's believe that it, the movie's going to end well. How will the movie end for the prodigal that you know? It may look bad right now, but don't look at that one frame in the movie. God wants that every prodigal will return. Yeah. Father never loses hope. He watches and waits for the returning backslider. And church, the story's not over until the film runs out. Amen. Keep praying. The last thing is when the prodigal does return, let's lay down our magnifying glass. Come on, let's lay down our magnifying glass. Pick up our mirror. Pharisees just wanted to criticize the publicans and the sinners. But Jesus held up a mirror to show them that they were the lowest of the law. Remember that the movie isn't over yet. And we need to help that repentant sinner when they come back to know that he's got a robe for you to honor you. He's going to put the ring on your finger to give you authority again. Because the devil will beat you down. You'll think he can never use, God can never use me again. Because I couldn't get past what I had done. It took me, a, listen, God forgives you like that. But sometimes it takes us a long time to forgive ourselves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? takes a long time to forgive yourself. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, I give you permission today to forgive yourself. Because God showed me this one day. He said, who do you think you are? I am the almighty God, and I have forgiven you. Why can't you forgive yourself? Are you greater than I am? Are you holier than I am? Huh? Come on, church. Because if you can't forgive yourself, then you're saying you're putting yourself above God who has forgiven you. So you need to forgive yourself. That guy that did that, he died at a youth retreat in Mechanicsville, Virginia. In 1974, he's dead. And a new person rose up. And so when the accuser comes and says, look at what you've done. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Because God doesn't know what you're talking about. He says, he puts your sin away from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. There's a song out there that says, what sin? When we come to God and we're repenting again, he's like, what sin? I've already taken care of that, son. 
The problem is not you trying to get me to forgive you. The problem is you trying to forgive yourself. What sin are you talking about, son? I've forgiven that. And you just need to forgive yourself. And when the prodigal comes in, they're going to need help. Because look at the years I've wasted. Look at what, because that's what they're thinking. The years I've wasted. All the things that I could have done. I didn't do. Bow your head if you would, please, and stand to your feet. Church, let me tell you something. I don't know who you are. I don't know who this message is for. It may be for somebody in here. But it doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. Now, only God can say that. And through the power of the Spirit and what he's done in our life, then we can say that because we're telling you what he said. And if he's forgiven you and we don't forgive you, it's the same thing as what I talked about. Who do you think you are? If God forgave them and you don't forgive them, are you holier than God? Are you greater than God? If he forgave them, who do we think we are that we can't forgive them? If he overlooked that sin frame, but we can't overlook it, who do we think we are? Are we greater than God? We holier than God? Church, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm preaching in the mirror this morning. Amen. Come on. I'm talking to me because we need to be reminded of these things because I don't know who's God's going to send here. They may not look like us, act like us. And just like uh, the the portion of that book I read is like they, we think that God's grace and mercy is extended to people that look like and are, are like us. But when God brings us to people that's done some, in our imagination, some horrible, horrible things, we need to be able to be like the Father to them and love them. And if you're here this morning and you've done something and you're having trouble getting over that. I want you to just know right now, just bow your head in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, God, I just pray that your presence just overflow in their spirit right now, God, in their mind, Lord, in their memory. Wash them clean, oh God. Wash us clean, oh Lord. God, help them to get beyond the sin frame and realize the movie, the, the film is still playing, God, and there are some beautiful, beautiful scenes ahead if they will just surrender it all to you. The old song says, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, Jesus understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. The film is still rolling, and God, you can do miraculous, wonderful, powerful things through the vilest and lowest of men. So, God, whoever, whoever this is for, Lord, I pray right now that you just wash them. Wash their memory. Wash their spirit, God. Wash their soul, Lord. Make them new, God. Help us not to be pharisaical, Lord. And just look at all of the 
Well, he did that. She did that. They're publicans. They're sinners. They're the lowest of the low. And by doing that, we become the lowest of the low. God, help us, Lord, to rise above that and have the heart of the Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, church, after a message like that, somebody like, I ain't going to that altar. I don't want everybody to think that I'm this horrible person. Let's just put that out of our mind. Because I can tell you this, if there's something in your life that's not right, there's people here that want to pray with you. Let's get it right. Come on, if there's something that has happened in your life, it may not be actively involved in it right now, but maybe something in your past is like, I just want to lay that on the altar before God and let people just come and be the father to you. So while we sing this song, we're going to open the altar. If you feel led to come and pray, you may want to pray right where you are, but we would love to just embrace you and say, look, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God bless you, honey. Come on. It's going to be all right. There's nobody in here going to look at you and judge you. We're just going to love on you. Let God just do a work in your life. Come out of the darkness into his glorious day. Amen. Name of Jesus, Hunter. You're here with the grace of the Savior, with the heart of the Father. You're all we need. You're here with the hands of the healer, with the power of your spirit.
Back in the 90s, Jensen Franklin preached the sermon. He said, the scripture says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward towards the prize, towards the mark of the high calling of God. That's the apostle Paul said that. Forgetting those things that are behind. Oh, Jensen, he said, look over your right shoulder. Everybody look over your right shoulder. Go ahead, look over your right shoulder. Now look over your left shoulder. All right. And say, those things are behind me. I ain't looking back no more. <laughs> yeah. He said, forgetting those things that are behind, yeah. I'm going to press on forward towards the prize, towards the mark of the high calling of God. Yes. The film is running. Your life is still before you. And God is going to make something beautiful out of it. Amen. How many of you receive that in Jesus' name right now? Yes. Father, we just receive that in Jesus' name, Lord. Make something beautiful out of every life, God that is submitted to you today, God. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. Take us and use us now, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, may this word, God, just, just set us free today, Lord. And help us, God, to be more like you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for our time together today, Lord. I pray that your word, God, will not return into you void, but it will accomplish that which you please and prosper, God, in the thing whereunto you have now sent it. Go after this place, Lord. Give us an opportunity to be a witness for you. And then, God, when we have that opportunity, Lord, give us the power and the boldness, Lord, to step out in faith and just be Jesus to somebody. Yes. Amen. Now, Father, I bless every home that is represented here today, God. May it be a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world and a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Lord, I pray for every family that is here today, God. Strengthen it, God. Father, you said you wanted a relationship between a man and his wife that their prayers be not hindered. So, Lord, I pray that you strengthen the relationship between husbands and their wives, Father. God, let it not be a give and take, but, Lord, let it be a give and give. Let each of them give 100%, Lord. Then their needs will be met. Father, I pray that you strengthen the relationship between parents and their children. Lord, if they're estranged children, God, bring them back home. Bring that prodigal back, Lord. Make that family whole again. And then siblings one with each other, Lord. Brothers and sisters should love one another. Get along. So strengthen them, God. Father, Father, those that are walking their journey alone, God, and they're looking for their mate, Lord, you know where they are. Cause their paths to cross, Lord. Help them find each other, I pray. And then, God, if they're satisfied just to be your mate, then, God, you comfort them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Jesus, our anthem, our only way to truth, the gospel is free.